Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. My name is Jacob and I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining us. If it's your very first time, welcome one more time. Give it up for our first time guests in the room. Give it up for our church family watching in online. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for showing up, man. It, uh, and it's good to be here. Anybody else glad to be here? It's a good day and you know, it's a big day for us down here in South Florida for the Miami Heat tonight. It's a, it's a, it's a big week for the Panthers too. Come on. I had the privilege of just being a part of uh, our first kind of launch of what we're calling Growth Track. And you probably have heard me say that a couple times. I know there was 12 or, 12 or so of us in there and we just walking through some things. It's really encouraging. And man, my hope for this is maybe you would consider joining us and being a part of this. Uh, we do what's called a, a two-step growth track every single month. Step one, step two. Step one happens every first Sunday of the month. Step two happens every second Sunday of the month. And I don't, Wilbur, can we throw that gra- graphic up there just so people can see where to go to if we have it? Um, but it just gives you a little insight on who we are and what our church, what God has called our church to do. You walk into the lobby, you see there's a, a sign right there that says we exist to help people live the way that God has intended for you to live. Right? God has designed you and created you not to live for yourself, but to live for him. And what does that look like? You know, I don't know, I'm 31 or I'm 41 or I'm 101. I, you know, what does that look like for me? Because it's, how many know that it's a journey? It's not like all of a sudden I show up and I come to church the first time and I'm, I'm like, I'm all in, God. Maybe that was you for, for a moment, but then like Monday happened. You know, Tuesday happened. Friday, the, the bills came through and you're like, man, I was all in Sunday and now I've got to be, I got to re-be all in Sunday, next Sunday. But this is a journey. It's a spiritual journey. And I was, it's just, I'm really praying for this crew that, that's walking through it. Step one today, step two next week. It's, uh, you can go to vlcministries.com slash growth track and you could sign up right now for next month's or the month after that. If you're like, I'm gone all summer. I'm only here in December. You can sign up for December too if you wanted to. And you sign up for step one and step two. And, and I'm just really believing that God is going to call some people in that class into into ministry, call some people into missions, call some people into being better husbands and fathers and being better servants. And and here's what I know. God hasn't called me or my dad or any of you to come up on this stage and lead. He's called us to get on the floor and serve. And so I'm asking God, how can I, how can I serve you better? How can I serve? Anybody want to serve him better? That's where I'm at. If you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 3. Let me just read and then I'll pray. We, uh, we are walking through the book of Hebrews. And we're doing our best to, to go verse by verse. If you were here week one, my dad kicked it off, did, did an incredible job of chapters one and then a little bit of chapter two. And then we asked you to read the rest of chapter two. Last week, if you were here, I just hit the first six verses of chapter three because I couldn't get to the rest. And so now I'm going to get to the rest. And uh, the book of Hebrews... We're not sure who is the author, but um, it's a book written to a bunch of Hebrews telling them to stop acting like Hebrews. So verse 7 in chapter 3, would you read with me? You know, can we stand to our feet in reverence? Is that okay? Can we stand to our feet one more time? 
I'll have you sit in a minute, and then I'll have you stand back up a couple minutes later, okay? Verse 7, and if you don't have your Bibles, anybody got a real Bible in your hand? Come on, hold it up if you got a real Bible. Let's go. Come on. I love it. If you don't have one, that's okay. Um, but get one. If you want a bigger house in heaven, get one. I'm just kidding. That's, that's not right. If you have your phone Bible, that's okay too. But if you don't have one, it'll be on the screen. And I'm reading from the NIV. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger they shall, what does it say? They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Verse 14, we've come to share in Christ. If we hold firmly to the end, or if we hold our original conviction firmly to the end, as it has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. Verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these words, these scripture, as you're bringing us back to portion in the Old Testament, that you'd remind us all how good you are and how superior you are and your son is, God. And as always, when we leave these doors in a few moments, that we would be better for it and be better because of it. And Learn how to serve you at a greater capacity and love at a greater capacity. That's what your scriptures do. They teach us, they train us, they correct us, and they also rebuke us. I pray all that that happens today. In Jesus' name, everybody shout it. Amen. You could be seated. Anybody love weddings? Love going to weddings? My wife and I just got back from a wedding, and uh, it was um, one of those weddings. You know, I got to be a student pastor for eight years, and it was two of my students, and it was pretty cool. His dad happened to be one of the pastors, so his, his dad officiated the wedding. But it's just, it's so special. For some of you who have been discipling people for, for many, many years, and you start to see them not just walking with the Lord, but walking in their giftings with the Lord, and then they get married, and it's just, it's, it's beautiful, and they were, they were patient, they were faithful. Man, I love going to, to Christian weddings because you're celebrating something so much bigger, right, than, than what you see. And, and it, was, it was incredible. It was like, three hours away so we pulled up at like 1 30 in the morning but I'm here praise God and I mean I do love weddings I always think about when I attend a wedding a little girl who attended the wedding for the very first time and she's asked her mom mommy why is the the bride in in all white and the mother replied that's because white equals happiness and this is the happiest and greatest day of her life moments later the little girl says then why is the groom in black <laughs> All right, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. That was good, right? That was good. A dad joke. Now that I'm a dad, I got dad jokes. That's it right there. Uh, Jesus is greater than the prophets. 
He's greater than the angels. He's greater than any throne or authority here on this earth. How many know that he's greater? He's, he's, he's better. And this is ultimately what the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to portray in these early chapters, is that he's, he's greater than all these things. In fact, this is what he says in verse 7, and we're just going to walk through this. <laughs> I don't even have a title for you today. If you're note-taking you're note and you're like, man, he always tells us his title, but I don't have a title. And maybe you can help me come up with one when I'm done. So I'm just going to walk through this verse by verse. Is that all right? Cool, you have no choice. Uh, verse 7, he, he starts off with, with saying, you know, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, don't do this. Now, now we've been in the faith for, for quite some time. Maybe you've been in the faith for, for a very long time. But what does it look like to hear God's voice? Well, he speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through creation, right? All creation sings. He speaks to us through other people, other flawed, imperfect people. He speaks to us in many, many ways. And, and this is the truth he's trying to portray, that he's, he's greater, he's better. If you're hearing his voice, perhaps it's through visions or dreams. If you're hearing his voice, make sure that you listen to his voice. If it's, it's one thing to believe something, but it's a whole other thing to do it. Right? I can hear it, and I could say, well, that makes sense. But it's a whole other thing to actually walk it out. Like, I, I, I believe that if I started eating healthier, it would be better for me. And if I added cardio to my workout, it would be better for me. But do I do it? Of course not. But I believe it, but do I do it? No. And, and the, the problem is, if you don't do what God is saying, he, he reminds us here in verse 8. He says, this is what happens when you don't listen to the voice of God. If you hear it, avoid it, run away, rebel against it. This is what happens. You, you will harden your hearts as those that did in rebellion during the testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, your, your forefathers tested me, and they tried me, and for 40 years they saw what they did. Now, we've heard the phrase, history is to be remembered, but not what? Repeated. If, if I don't know the past, odds, odds are I might forget that I shouldn't make the same mistakes that I made in, in the past. Is anybody really good at making the same mistakes over and over again? You know the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing, expecting different results, right? It doesn't matter how many times I know that if I chug my Smoothie King uh, you know, shake, I'm going to get a brain freeze, but still time and time again I get a Smoothie King shake and I get a brain freeze. It's it just like it's common sense that I, that I forget, it doesn't matter how many times I know not to grocery shop when I'm on an empty stomach, yet I still grocery shop on an empty stomach and I spend an extra, what, $100. Man, my wife would kill me if I spent an extra $100, extra $20, an extra $50. Don't go to the grocery store on an empty stomach. These are things that we know. It's as if we needed somebody 24-7, you know, by our side, telling us the things that we should not do, saying if, if you do those things, you're going to get the same results you did when you did them yesterday. Any husbands out there thankful for their wives? Come on. Yes, they're there for us, man. They're helping us. I mean, thank God. Thank God for my wife. The, the Jewish people, you know, they're in the middle of this persecution. They've, they've abandoned their old ways. And, and I want to be careful because a lot of what the Jewish people do today is there's some great things. The problem is, is there was, there was a legalist, legalism side to it, 
Because a lot of the priests, a lot of the rabbis, a lot of the people, the Jewish leaders, you know, they took the 613 precepts that God had, and they were like, let's add a few more. And let's enforce those things. And Jesus was like, hey, listen, that law represents Moses. You're trying to go back to that. That's not what I, that the law is good for you, but I've come to bring something new. And so the new is what you're stepping into. You're not, you're not throwing it all in the trash. That's not what I'm asking you to do. And some of those things I believe Christians should celebrate. But this is, this is something new that I'm asking you to step into. And so they step into it. And now they're like, well, I didn't know I was going to be persecuted. I, I didn't know that I was going to have trials. I didn't know there was going to be suffering in the faith. Nobody told me that. Which pastor were you listening to when you signed up for this? You know, which one were, were, were they convincing you that it was going to be all great? The, the Jewish people really realized quickly that this was, going to, this was going to be a challenge. This was not going to be easy. And the writer says, I know you want to go back to the things that you were in before, but you, but you, but you got to stay here because if you go back... Let me tell you who went back. Let me tell you the things that your ancestors did long and long ago. They tested God. They tried God. I gave them everything that they needed, and they still didn't understand. And if, and if your Bible is like mine, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, and 11 are indented because the writer's quoting another passage in the Old Testament. In fact, it's Psalm 95, and you don't have to flip there, but I'll read there. He quotes Psalm 95. If you remember the, ex, the exodus of Israel, the people were in Egypt. They were in, enslaved, and there was an exodus from Egypt. And, they, and God delivered them, and he spared them. And, and you know, they, they were headed to the promised land, the land of Canaan. And it was a trip, a journey that should have taken roughly 13 days. You know how long it took them? Forty years. Forty years it took them to get to a place that should have taken them 13 days. Days They were in bondage for 400 years. God had freed them. He delivered them. And he said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. And it took them 40 years. Why? Because they rebelled. They were rebellious. Like if you're a parent in here and you have kids, you know what it's like to be rebellious. You know what it looks like. God, certainly a heavenly father, knows what it looks like to have children who are rebelling against him. In fact, Psalm 95 points out two of those. And let me just read it. It be, should be on the screen. But if it's not, no worries. In Psalm 95, in verse 8, it says, Do not harden your hearts as you did in Mirabah, and as you did on the day of Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, even though they had seen what I did. Now, it's important to note that the writer of Hebrews, and I'll get back to that verse in Psalm, but the writer of Hebrews has, has a couple exhortations that he brings to this book. And the first we found in chapter 2, when he said, don't drift, because there's a danger if you drift. But now he presents the second one in chapter 3. He says, don't doubt. Don't have, don't have a lack of faith. Don't walk in unbelief. Stop doubting, stop doubting God. You go now back to Psalm 95, because there's a danger in that. And he says, there, there, here's two examples of when you walked in that disbelief, you walked in that lack of faith, and it was in Mirabah, and it was the day at Massa. Now, to understand Mirabah, you got to go back to Numbers chapter 20. Remember when God said, Moses, speak to the rock, and what's going to come out of it? Water. And what does Moses do? He grabs his rod, and he what? He said he spanks it. He spanks it. He hits the rock, and water comes out. So, so God still came through, but, but Moses disobeyed God. In fact, that would be the thing that Moses and Aaron would, uh, would do that would not allow them to enter into the promised land. But in Numbers 20, the people are upset because there's no water. 
God had freed them from Egypt. And here they, here they now are in a wilderness, in a desert, and there's no water. And what do people do if they don't have water? They complain. And they start to quarrel amongst each other. In fact, Mirabah literally translates as the word quarrel. And so they quarrel, and they fight, and they yell, and they get upset, and they say, Moses, you've, you've, you've brought us out here to die where there's no water. We could have just been dead in Egypt. We could have stayed there. And God was upset. But the second one he brings up in Psalm 95 is the day of Massa. Now, to understand that, you've got to go back to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. You remember the 12 spies that went to, to scope out and explore the land of Canaan? God had, God had delivered them from Egypt, and he, he brings them to the land of Canaan. And he says, I need you to send 12 spies out to the land of Canaan and explore it. And so Moses selects 12 people. And they go out to the land of Canaan, and they explore it, and they see all that it has, but they also see who it has, the enemy. Now, it's great. It's flowing with milk and honey. In fact, they come back, and they're like, Moses, Moses, there's milk, there's honey. It's everything that God had promised, but there is some really tall people here. In fact, the scripture says there, there are the, the Nephilim was there. The Nephilim was descendants of Anak. They, they were giants. The, Moses, there, there are giants here. And I, I don't think that we'll ever be able to defeat these giants. And so they give this news to the people and Moses and Aaron. And they're like, the land is great. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Flowing with milk and honey. But there are extremely tall people. In fact, the scripture says that we are like grasshoppers to these giants. And the people are so upset. They're like, Moses, you would send us out here to now die by the sword of these Nephilim, by our enemy. Meanwhile, our children and our wives are going to be now plunder for them. And God was, was so angry. By the way, there was two of the spies that didn't say they couldn't defeat the giants. You know who those two were? Caleb, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua said, it didn't matter how big those giants are. If God has given us that land, we're, we are going to take that land. But God was, was extremely angry at them. And he said, you will be in this wilderness for 40 years. Now, you know why he says 40 years? It's interesting. He sent the 12 spies out. You know how long it took them to explore the land? 40 days. God said, for every day that you searched will be a, a year that you wander. 40 years. In verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 3, if you go back there with me, this is why it says, I'm so, I was so angry with that generation. Their hearts were always going astray. They have not known my ways. And so I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. Now, let me pause there because this brings up an interesting point. How many would agree with me that at times, even as a believer, it gets frustrating when it, when it seems like God isn't doing anything? Yeah? Any, any honest people out there? Like, it's just frustrating sometimes. Like, God, I've been praying for a long time and I haven't seen anything. I've been fasting and I haven't seen anything. I, I have been seeking. I've been, God, your, your word says, but it didn't come through. God, you said it didn't come through. God, you told me to present myself and the elders would anoint oil, lay hands on me, and I still have not been healed. God, you clearly are not doing anything. Come on, God, I want, I want to see something. I want to feel something. And, and if you ever, like that, maybe like me, have found your place at, at at that, that place, you're now doubting, you're questioning, you're pointing, and you're, you're pointing the finger at God. You're saying, God, why this? Why that? Something begins to happen if you're not mature in the faith. 
you start to abandon the faith. Your heart begins to be hardened. But the mature in the faith know how to start walking in their faith and walking in reliance on this right here, the word of God. I may not always think that God is doing something, but I have to believe that he is always doing something regardless of whether I see it, regardless of whether I feel it. Do you really understand that God, he may hold your situation in, in your hand, which he does, but he also holds the whole world in his hand. He knows the beginning from the end. He's not surprised by anything. God isn't like, oh my goodness, I had no idea you were going to lose your job. Wow. I had no idea that you were going to have kids. I had no idea. God isn't surprised by anything. He, he knows the beginning and he knows the end. But if we have convinced ourselves that God isn't up to anything, then we start to take matters into our own hands. Like the, like the, the Israelites who were so angry that they were going to be killed by the people in the land of Canaan and their, their wives were going to be taken, their kids were going to be taken. They put matters into their own hands and they say, uh, let's, let's elect somebody else to lead us back to slavery. That's what they say. We, we got to go back to Egypt, get Moses out of here and elect somebody else. And essentially what we have done is we have dethroned God and we have enthroned ourselves. We've convinced ourselves that we would do a better job at being God than God. There's a story in John chapter 11. Jesus is with his disciples and he's ministering and they get, they get word. I don't know if it was from a, a messenger or a, a note on a pigeon. You know, they came and, and Jesus read it or heard it. And it said, Jesus, the one you love, Lazarus, your friend is sick and he's dying. Lazarus was Mary and Martha's brother. We know who Mary and Martha is. And Jesus is ministering in a, in a, in a town nearby, and he gets the, the word that his good friend, and they say, the one you love, is dying. And, and the disciples are like, we got to go. They start packing up camp. We got to go with, with, with Lazarus, and we, we got to go be with him. And, and, and we got Jesus, we got to go heal him. And Jesus is like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. I got, I got work to do right where I'm at. And they were so mad at Jesus. His own disciples were like, all right, we're going to leave you, and we're going to go be with Lazarus in his final moments. And they left. And then Jesus shows up. But by the time he shows up, guess who's already been in the tomb for four days? Lazarus. So he was sick when he got the word. And by the time Jesus went to the town, he was dead. Now put yourself in Mary and Martha's shoes. What are you thinking about God? God, I've seen you heal. God, I've seen you turn things around like that. God, he, he was just sick. It wasn't like he was blind or deaf. He was just sick. And so Jesus shows up, and Lazarus is in the tomb, and it's been four days, and Mary and Martha hear, hear word that he's here, and they run out to him, and they say, Jesus, where were you? Look what you could have done. In fact, some of the Jewish people pointing the finger at Jesus, they're like, this man can heal the blind and the deaf, but he can't heal the sick. Taking shots. But Jesus says something remarkable in John eleven forty. 40. Mind-blowing. He says, did I not tell you that those who believe in me would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you, church, that if you believe in me, that in my time, not yours, you would see the glory of God? And he says, take me to that tomb. And they take Jesus to the tomb. And he said, roll that stone away. 
And they're like, but Jesus, it really stinks. There's a bad odor. We can't roll the stone away. He says, roll the stone away. And what does he do? He goes in there and he raises Lazarus from the dead. He said, I could have come here a few days ago and healed him. But which was greater, for me to heal the sick or for me to raise the dead? Come on, do you want to see the glory of God? Are you patient enough, are you, are you patient enough to wait on the glory of God? Some of us, man, God, we need it now. And if God does not deliver now, then it's like, we're done. Let me find a new God to pray to. Let me go to a new church that will have more faith. Let me go to a, a, a new place of worship that will tell me what I want to hear. If we don't see it now, when we want it, we start to lack belief. Our hearts will be hardened. We will go astray. We will accuse God of abandoning you, not valuing you, not prioritizing you. Just because you don't see God moving does not mean that he is not moving. He is, dump, he is doing something behind the scenes, church. Come on, we only work in the natural, but God works in the supernatural. And that's why I have to cling on to my faith, the confidence in things hoped for, the assurance in things that I do not see. I cling on to my faith. There are times where I just have to get into my room and pray and say, God, I have no idea what you are doing up there. But clearly, I can't see. I can't see, but that is okay. Because you, you may not were meant to see. God was, was the one that sees. You were just meant to cling on to him and to hold on to him, hold on to the faith. This is the foundation, by the way, that makes everything worth the living. Anybody thankful for their faith? That he's given you the confidence, the hope that we have in him. But there's something else that we have to discuss them and look at verse nine because it says that, you know, you, you rebelled in the desert, you rebelled in the wilderness, your, your fathers, your ancestors were tested. They, they were tried. They, they were tried for, for 40 years. They tested me, but yet at the same time for 40 years, they saw what I did. Now, what did God do? We've seen the movie where he parted the, the waters and they went through, but what exactly did he do? You know, you know how many people, many would say, and scholars would say, were a part of that exodus from Egypt? Roughly three million. Let's just say three million. Go with me there. Three million people. You have any idea how many people are in Broward? I have no idea. Do you have any idea? You have any idea? There's a lot of people in Broward. Could you just imagine? Two million? There we go. Somebody who works for Broward. Two million people. Now, you only have to live around a few, but could you imagine living around all three million and then traveling with all three million people? God delivers miraculously three million people from the hand of Pharaoh. They witnessed 10 plagues that only God could perform. They watched the hand of God part the waters. They crossed on dry land, and then they turned around and they saw those same waters come back together to destroy and consume their enemy just like that. But then do you know what God did after he became their deliverer? He became their Jehovah Jireh. He became their provider. Three million people now in the middle of a desert. They have no food and they have no water. What does God do? He says, you need food? I got you. Here's manna from the ground. You need more food? Here's quail from the sky. You need some water? Here's water from the rock. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it tells us, Deuteronomy chapter 8, it tells us that their clothes never worn out. Neither did their sandals for 40 years. Could you imagine wearing the same pair of shoes for 40 years? Some of you can't wear the same pair of shoes for a month. 
Time to get a new pair. For 40 years, their clothes never weathered and their shoes never weathered. Their feet never swelled up. Three million people. You know, the average person uses like 80 to 100 gallons of water a day with, with if, you, if you think about what we consume, dishes we wash, showers we take, baths we take, the washing machine that we use. The water that we use, we brush our teeth, we let it run for 10 minutes while we brush our teeth for, you know, 30 seconds. It's like, you don't have to run the water while you're brushing your teeth. You know, you can turn the, turn the water off while you brush your teeth. You're not using it. You're just wasting water. That's 80 to 100 gallons a day. The Lord provided for 3 million people. Think about what they saw. For 40 years, this is what they saw. And they still rebelled against God. They still went astray. Now, I don't want to hammer it, hammer it down on the Israelites because if you and I were there, we'd, we'd be the same. If you and I were there, we'd be like, God, this manna is great, but ha- have you heard of filet mignon? You know, can, can, you, can, you, can you provide something like some mahi-mahi or something, Lord? I mean, we'd love a little change of pace. You know, this water is great rushing from that, that rock, but have you ever considered turning water into wine? One day when my son will come, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that one. You know, like, come on, God. I like, man, we just, we are so good at complaining. For 40 years, they saw what they did. They watched the God, the creator, the sustainer, suspend the laws of, of, of natural. They saw his divine nature on display. They saw the power of God, yet they still complained. Here's the point I'm trying to make if you're taking notes. Don't think you need a sign or a miracle to believe. And don't think you need another sign or a miracle to sustain your faith. Miracles and signs and wonders, man, those things are great. And we, we should ask for those things. And, and a lot of those will cause people to repent of their sins and to believe. But that can't be what sustain us, sustains us. In fact, did it convince the Pharisees to believe? No. Did it convince Jesus' hometown to believe? No. It didn't matter what they saw, they still didn't believe. The Israelites are witnessing the power of God and they're still rebelling against the power of God. They developed a heart just like the one that they left from, Pharaoh. They became hardened. In fact, it didn't really matter what God was going to do next because it didn't, because I'm still going to complain. Because I'm just great at complaining. In fact, I'm the best at complaining. Anybody with me? Anybody great complainers out there? Man, I'm great at it. That's, that's probably, the, one of the, if I'm being honest and transparent, that's something I struggle with, man. I, I'm just really easy to complain. And I try not to. And then I saw my son the other day, who, who's five. I told him to do something, and he gave me the, ugh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, God. He's like, ugh. And then that wasn't the worst part. He told me, he said, why don't you do it? <laughs> man, my five-year-old got, he, he almost got the front hand, the back hand, the front foot, the back foot. I mean, just all, all of it. I'm like, Who's raising this kid? Me, I guess. You know, it doesn't take us long enough to discover that we're natural at complaining. In fact, we're not, we're not taught how to complain. It just becomes second nature to us. In fact, it started in the garden. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, Adam and Eve, God said, here's every tree and fruit you can have. Just don't, just don't mess with that one. And then what do they do? They grab the fruit and they eat it. And now they, they realize their shame. They realize their nakedness. Like some of you have been caught in sin. You, 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 you sin and you're like, I'm going to get struck by lightning. And just stay away from me if that's the case. You know, I don't want to be around you. But what, what do Adam and Eve do? They go, they go and hide. And God comes strolling through the garden. And he's like, where are you, Adam? Eventually he knows where Adam, you know, he finds Adam. Adam's like, I'm over here, God. 
He's like, Adam, why did you eat? Why did you eat that fruit? And what does Adam say? He says what any of your kids would say. It was her. That's what he says. He says the woman did it. That wasn't the worst part. He said the woman that you put in my life did it. I didn't ask for her. I didn't want, well, no, I really want her. Don't take her away, but it was her. She was the one that gave me the fruit. I mean, we complained even from the beginning. There's a joke about Adam's kids who were like, God, or Adam and Eve, mom and dad, why did we get kicked out of the, the garden? And Adam was like, that's because your mother ate us out of house and home. <laughs> Let me just say this, and, and maybe you can relate. It's so easy for us to complain about the things that uh, God isn't doing opposed to seeing the things that he's already done. Right? And God has done so much for you and for me. But we're always looking for that next thing. We're always looking for that next feeling. We're always looking for that next miracle. We're always looking for that next experience. God, I had, I had experiences last year, and I'm ready for new experiences this year. And God says, I got, I got different things that you're going to experience here. It's not going to be the same. But if you're always looking for that, and you're not going to get it, you're going to be like the people in Israel, and you're going to complain, and you're going to complain. It's easy for us because we see in the natural, God sees in the supernatural. We don't know what's around the corner, but God does. We don't know when our son or daughter is coming home, but God does. We don't know the results from that biopsy, but God does. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He sustains all things. He provides all things. He comforts you when no one else would. Isn't God good? He is. God always comes through. Tell somebody next to you, God always comes through. God always comes through. May not be what I was thinking, may not be what I was wanting, but it definitely was what God was wanting and what God was thinking. So we get to these, these Jewish people who, who, who are going back and complaining, you know, and here's the thing. God, every single time, came through for them. So it wasn't like they were asking for something and God didn't come through. They needed deliverance and God brought deliverance. They needed food and God brought food. They needed water and God brought water. Just like that. They didn't have to search. They didn't have to beg. Man, they complained. And God's like, I'm angry at you, but here you go. Like any father would. Man, I'm upset at you, but here you go. The differences with them and us at times, is God provided exactly what they were asking for and they still had a very hard time. This is why he was angry. Verse 11, look with me there. So I declared an oath in my anger. He said, they shall never enter my rest. You can't enter my rest because of what you did. What did we do? Look at Numbers chapter 20. Look at Numbers 13 and 14. Look what you did. You can never enter my rest. Now, we're going to get into what this rest looks like more next week, and my dad's going to bring that in chapter 4. But historically, what this is speaking about is the Israelites, because of what they did, they were no longer allowed to be into the promised land. So that rest is the promised land, the land of Canaan. That's what that rest means right here. You can never enter my rest. What does that mean? We're talking about the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and the land flowing with honey, except two people. Caleb and Joshua, and anybody under the age of 20. So that generation who wasn't under the age of 20 would all die, including Moses and Aaron, and they would not be able to enter into the promised land. But the ultimate rest set 
we're going to get to is talking about the rest that we find through salvation. And that's what we'll discuss more on that. But let me get to verse 12. Super easy, non-conversational, non-divisive verse. It's extremely debatable. I'll just say that, verse 12. And, And I'll get to it, but let me read verse 12. It says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called, somebody say today, today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. But we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. Now, this is interesting for those that have read the Bible, there are parts in the Bible that can look really, you know, Calvinist, and then there's parts of the Bible that can really look Arminian, and what I mean by that is you have uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, which are, are two systems of theologies that tackle this idea of uh, the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God, and, and there's, there's this tension that's there, and to be honest, there are plenty of parts in your Bible that's like, man, this is clearly all about the sovereignty of God, and then there are parts of your Bible that are clearly all about the responsibility of men. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But it's divided churches, it's divided our faith, and I'm not here to bring any more of that division because some of us lean more on the, on the Calvinist side and believing that God is all, you know, all sovereign and I didn't really have any choice as it pertains to salvation. And then some of us lean on the side of more of the Arminian side where, no, there was a responsibility on my end as it pertains to salvation. But I read chapter 3, verse 12, and some of these other verses, and it seems like, at least in this portion, looks a little bit more Arminian. He says in verse 12, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away. Now that word turns away in the Greek is a word called aphistemi. Can you say that with me? Aphistemi? One, two, three. Aphistemi. It literally means to fall away, to depart from. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that aphistemi from the living God. Now, let me give you another passage in the Bible where that same word and that translation is used, and it's found in Luke chapter 8, verse 13. And this is Jesus. You don't got to flip there. It'll be on the screen. Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower. The farmer goes out. He's got a seed, and he he scatters some on the path. He scatters some on on the thorns. He scatters some on the good soil, and then he scatters some on the rocks. Well, you don't have to be a farmer to know which seed is going to grow really well, the seed that fell on the good soil. Not the path, not the rocks, not the thorns. And he goes on to say this in verse 13 of Luke chapter 8. He said, those that the seeds that fell on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. Somebody say joy. When they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they aphistemi. Right here, that, that's where that word is, is also used in Luke 8, 13. They fall away. Now, is Jesus talking about those who have always believed? I'll tell you who he is talking about, those who received that belief with joy. But when times of testing came, when, the, when the, it was time for purification, it was time for the, for the muddling to take place, it was time for the trials to take place. How many know that all those things, they shape us, they make us better? When those times presented themselves, it says that they fell away. So, so did they really believe and fell away, or did they not believe and fell away? I will tell you this. In the verse, it says they believed for a while that which they received with joy, 
But it says they were never rooted. They were never rooted. And, you know, they, they showed up and they were singing the songs. And they were reading the Bible, highlighting the scriptures, joining a small group. But then as soon as that first job loss came, or that relationship issue showed up, or the kids were making mistakes, it was like, man, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to church anymore. How dare you do this? They were never rooted. And so now I get to Hebrews 3.12. Who is the writer speaking to? Well, notice that it says brothers and sisters. In fact, if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 3, he says holy brothers and sisters. So clearly he's speaking to believers here. And he says if you have an unbelieving and sinful heart, be careful because it'll aphostame you from the living God. It'll turn you away from the living God. Again, the scripture has much to say about the sovereignty of God, but it also has much to say about the responsibility of man. And, and I would just want to finish with this. It looks like here, this portion at least, it's focusing on our responsibility. And you and I, and what that pertains to. If you look at verse 14, it says, we've come to share in this faith in Christ if Indeed, we hold our original conviction firmly to the end, the very end. Now, I know there's that passage we love to quote in John 10, 28, which says that he will never, nothing will ever snatch you from the grip of God. And I, anybody, I believe that. Nothing will ever snatch us from the grip of God. But I heard one pastor say this, and it's interesting at least to think about and consider. I'm not concerned with God's grip on me. What I should be concerned with is my grip on God. What, what, what am I doing that I need to fix? Hopefully, I'm not like the rocks where the word of God was scattered and I received it with joy. But then when testing and trials came, I just, I gave up. I, I didn't want to believe. How could this happen, God? How can you do this to me? See to it that no one turns away. We have come to share in Christ if we hold to this responsibility. Again, I don't want to draw any conclusions for you. I want you to dive deeper into this. But again, the Bible has much to say about the sovereignty of God as much as it has to say about the responsibility of man. But what are we to do? Because this portion is specifically focusing on our responsibility. Let me give you just two things, practical, and then I'll, then I'll close this. Two things. I'll close one more time. <laughs> two things. Um, what's our responsibility? Don't rebel against God. Don't rebel against God. And if you want to know if you're rebelling against God or not, just ask somebody. Hey, how am I doing with my, with my walk in Christ? Hey, you know, I really struggle with, with, with uh, profanity and unwholesome talk. How am I doing in that? You want to know how you're really doing, ask your spouse. <laughs> and ask them to be very honest with you. Go to your small group leader or somebody in your small group and say, hey, how am I doing with this? Man, I, I, was, I was a big liar. But am, am, I, am I lying as much now? Ask somebody. Stop rebelling against God because rebelling will lead to having a sinful and an unbelieving heart. And the second thing is encourage one another daily. That's what the scripture says. Encourage one another daily so that they don't fall away and be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage somebody. There's a responsibility that I have towards God in my relationship, but there's a responsibility that I have towards you and you have towards me. I pray you excel at the one with God, but I also pray that you excel at the one with each other. Because odds are, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, we know that there are people that we need to encourage. New people in the faith, people who have been in the faith for 50 years. 
How many would agree that, man, I need some encouragement today. Come on, I need some encouragement. And, and that's the key word, today. Somebody say today. Do you know one of our favorite words to use in the dictionary is not today, but it's tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's just like, it's just something we say all the time. Maybe tomorrow means for you, yeah, next week. Maybe tomorrow means for you next month. Maybe tomorrow means later. And I wish my wife could articulate what later meant when I said later. Sometimes she, she thinks that it means immediately when I say later, you know. But one of our favorite words is we like to say is tomorrow. You know, I mean, I, I really know that I need to get out of debt, but today I'm going to spend what I want and I'll get out of debt tomorrow. Come on, here we go. I mean, I know I need to diet, but today I'm going to eat whatever I want and I'll get on a diet tomorrow. Man, I know I haven't really been present with my kids and I'm not that great of a parent, but I know I need to. But today I got to work really late. I'll be present with my kids tomorrow. Now, certainly there are some things that can wait till tomorrow, but I'm talking about your responsibility and God's sovereignty. And there is something that cannot wait till tomorrow because the scripture says today is the day of salvation. And I just wonder how many of us in this room, how many watching online, that's like the one thing we're, we're, we're juggling with right now is, man, I'm not sure if I want to be all in with Jesus. I'm not sure if I want to surrender everything with Jesus. Man, I, I just love coming to church, sitting in the back or, or, or just shaking somebody's hand, grabbing a cup of coffee. Um, but I'm just not, I don't want to give all that I have. And you're not willing to make Christ your Lord and Savior. You're not willing to surrender all. You're not willing to repent of your sins and say, God, would you help me? Would you restore me? And what you are saying though, even if you're not, what you are saying is, man, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. Tomorrow shows up, man, I'll get to it tomorrow. 20 years show up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna surrender my life, God, tomorrow. In the back of your mind, you might be thinking, when I'm in my deathbed and I've done all that I wanted to do and I've been pleasured how all I wanted to be pleasured, on my deathbed, I'll surrender but you may not ever see that bed because James tells us that, that you are like a mist. You're, you're, a, you're a vapor, you're here, and then you're gone. You are not promised tomorrow. And so my question for some of you is what do you need to do today if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? He can change everything about you. He loves you, he's got a plan for you, he's got a purpose for you. He wants to redeem you and restore you and give you life, as John 10, 10 says, to the fullest. But you're not willing yet. But maybe right now, you feel like God is tugging on your heart and you're saying, Jacob, today, I can't wait till tomorrow. I can't wait till next week. Today, I've got to surrender my life. Don't walk out of these, out of these doors before you do so. Before you maybe get on your knees, before you pray and you say, God, I, I need you as my personal Lord and Savior. But maybe some of you in this room are, you need to make a decision today to encourage somebody else. Or you need to make a decision today to stop rebelling against God. Don't wait till tomorrow. God, I just need a few more days of this sin, a few more days of this pleasure, a few more days of this satisfaction, God, and then I'll start next week. You are not promised next week. Let's start today. Would you pray with me? In fact, would you stand to your feet all across this room? Father, there are certainly many takeaways that people can 
could have gained from today, but I really want them to hear this, that we are not promised tomorrow. And there are so many things that, that if we don't get to, if we don't confess, how much better would it be if we just did it today? The regrets we may have years from now when we knew that we could have just done it today. And so I don't know what it is for people. In fact, I'm going to ask our, our prayer team to, to come to the front. And the team's going to lead us. And, and I'll be up here. And if you need, I want to invite you. Specifically, we're going to pray right now for people who need to be encouraged. Maybe you need to, to today stop rebelling against God. Maybe today you just need some encouragement. You're saying, Jacob, and I just need some encouragement. Would you just pray over me? Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm that one that's waiting to surrender my life to God because I think I can do it tomorrow, but I need to do it today. And if that's you, I want you to come and we want to pray with you. The enemy wants you to sit right where you're at or stand where you're at, but would you consider, if you just need some encouragement in this room, make your way up to the front. The team's going to lead us. You don't have to wait for me to say go. You can start making your way. we got some people up here. We'll pray for you. We'll lay hands on you. For those that are in this room, would you just continue to worship? continue to sing. This isn't a dismissal yet. We just want you to sit in this for a little bit. Come on, how many of you need God to speak to you? How many want to hear from God? Would you just open up your hearts and open up your hands? Lord, I know who you are. I know what your scripture says. You are good. You are great. You are everything to me, Father. You're everything to me. Come on, just worship him. Come on, worship him in this room. Come on, if you need prayer, just come to the front. We'll pray for you. But let's worship him in this place. You're good. I knew who I once was, and I'm no longer that, and I thank God for that. But, Lord, I need some encouragement today. Come on, I need some encouragement. You are good today, not tomorrow. Today, Father. You need to make a decision. Make it today. Holy Spirit, come on. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.